Let's get to 1 John chapter 1. This is a brand new series. We're launching a series today in 1 John. And so one of the interesting things when you launch a series, if you've come to Bethel very long, you will know this, but when you're a church that preaches through a whole book, a lot of times the first sermon in the series is heavily historical because we spend a lot of time saying, who wrote this and who did they write it to? And, and we go into the text, and there's a lot of data that happens. That's a, that's a normal thing for us. That's very helpful for us. But 1 John is interesting because the author is never mentioned in the book. Now, obviously, it's called 1 John, so we believe that it is written by the John who was a disciple of Jesus, the John who wrote the Gospel of John. It's never mentioned, but as you read through 1 John, there are all these sort of evidences and all these things that John says in 1 John that prove that to us or are evidence of that. In fact, in the series as we go through it, Pastor Ross is even going to be bringing more of these evidences out. And so the longer you go into 1 John, the more confident you can be that that's who wrote it. But it's not mentioned, and so that's unique. That's not something we normally have happen when we're preaching through whole books. And then the audience is not mentioned. So we don't really get any one of these kind of letters of a, like, hey, I'm John and I'm writing this for this particular church, this particular people, which means most likely... 1 John was a letter that was passed around to, to all sorts of, of groupings of the early church that, that it probably floated and probably was passed and probably told about. And so it's good for us because we can go to it because we're benefiting from that as well. We're another church who's now getting 1 John. And so it's just helpful for you to know that as we get into it. But one of the challenges of 1 John, I'll go ahead and tell you, is the way John describes things. So you're going to see this in just a second. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. But one thing that John does is he'll, he'll be saying something, he'll describe something, and then he'll take a little break and he'll describe the thing he just said. And then he gets in that and he'll describe another thing he said. And then he'll go back up to the thing. And so you almost need a, a whiteboard to kind of follow some of this stuff. And so 1 John deserves to be read slowly. Because if we read slowly, those things will become very clear to us. It will be a comfort to us, the things that he's saying. But it is dense. And so we want to read it carefully. And so we, we need to read it slow and to be thoughtful. The, the other challenge that we have is, is that First John has so many deep theological truths that we want to make sure we understand them as we go. Okay, so let's read First John 1, 1 through 4. I'm going to read the whole text here. It says... That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Just four verses, but there's a lot there. So in these four verses, I want us to ask three questions, okay? The first one is, who is this about? Who's it about? The second one is, who is it for? And the third one is, what does it do? 
Okay, so that's how we're going to break it down. So let's look at the first one. Who is it about? If you look at 1 John 1, 1, that first thing I read, the first six words say, that which was from the beginning. This is how John starts. He's not like, hey guys, what up? It's me, John. He just jumps into this phrase that might seem a little strange to us at first. Like, okay, that which was from the beginning. There's no greeting here. He gets, I mean, he's right off the starting block going into this. He's talking about Jesus here, and this is how we know it. So you'll bear with me. I'm going to bounce now between 1 John and the Gospel of John. Because we believe this is the same author, if we go to the Gospel of John, and I'll have Matt put it up on the screen. If we read the beginning of the Gospel of John, this is what it says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So here's John in 1 John saying, hey, that thing which was from the beginning, if you read what he wrote in the Gospel of John, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in the Gospel of John, just a few verses later, let me read John 1, 14 from the Gospel of John. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So John is saying, okay, that which was from the beginning in 1 John is the same thing I'm talking about in the Gospel of John. I'm talking about Jesus. This is Jesus. He is the Word made flesh. He is the Son of God. So now, let's keep going. Go back to 1 John. See, I told you we're going to bounce around. 1 John 1, 1, the rest of it. Which we've heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the Word of life. So John is giving us a testimony here. He's saying, okay, in the beginning, that which was from the beginning, Jesus, we've heard Him. We've seen him, we've looked upon him, we've touched him with our hands. I am talking about Jesus, and I walked with Jesus. Hey, this is a guy who's actually touched Jesus. He was a disciple of Jesus. He's testifying, okay, the Son of God, we've seen him, we know him, we were with him. Now, why would that matter? Well, what we find, if you, if you research the early church, that there was this dangerous teaching that was happening in the church, in the early church, that we call Gnosticism, based on the word for knowledge. And Gnosticism was this sort of dangerous belief about what it meant to be a follower of God. And, and Gnosticism is still alive and well. You still will see it creep up in churches, believe it or not. But Gnosticism believed two big, huge, glaring things that are just not true. And this is what John's responding to. So the first thing that Gnosticism believes is that the only way to be saved, to, to truly be redeemed and righteous with God, is by obtaining secret, superior knowledge. That the only way you're truly saved is you attain some extra level, that you get the extra password, you get the secret folder, you finally get the super secret knowledge, and once you get that, then you're really saved. Okay, that's what cults say, okay? That's the sort of thing you hear from false religions. Do all this stuff, and then if you do enough, you obtain your way into, into, you know, you get to see the man behind the curtain, and you get the secret info, then you're saved. So 
This is now being passed around in the church. So th this is one thing getting taught, which is, runs so contrary to Scripture. So listen, anybody who teaches you that you are saved by what you do, that you can earn your way, get away from that. That is not what Scripture teaches. It is not elitist. It is not a works-based righteousness. But Gnosticism was rampant. The second thing that Gnosticism did was it believed that all matter was evil. Anything made of matter was evil. So, your shirt is evil. Your body's evil. Bread is evil. I'm not talking about keto. Just, I mean, you know, anything made of matter was evil and that the only good things were spirit. So anything that was of spirit was good, but anything made of matter was evil, which meant that Gnosticism did not believe that Jesus walked the earth, that God would never, ever become a human being body in this evil thing created by matter. And so they didn't believe that Jesus walked the earth, which we know he did, even if you're not a Christian. There are enough historical texts to prove to you that Jesus of Nazareth was a man who walked the earth. Even if you're not a believer, you can point out automatically that that's not true. So what John is responding to here is that, in that he's saying, no, 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 Jesus was real. I walked with him. I saw him. I had a relationship with him. I touched him. So let's keep going. Look at verse 2. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. So, so John says, I was with Jesus. He's the Son of God. He's the Word made flesh. I know He was real. I walked with Him, and He's of the Father. So he says, we, we've seen it. We testify. We proclaim to you the eternal life. That which was with the Father and made manifest to us. Jesus was with the Father. This is important. He's now been made manifest to us. This is wonderful good news. Hey, eternal life is yours. And this Jesus we're talking about, he was with the Father. He's not using the word fellowship yet, but he will. He is commenting for us on this divine connection that Jesus, eternal life, word of God, is from the Father. He's in fellowship with him. This is doctrine. This is core of what we believe, that Jesus was sent by the Father. So the question, who's it about? This is about Jesus. The stuff we're reading today is about Jesus. Let's keep going. The next question, I said we would answer, who's this for? Look at 1 John 1, 3. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Now we're getting into fellowship. Because John says that this thing, this thing that's been proclaimed to us, gives us fellowship with each other because Jesus, who saves us and redeems us, has fellowship with the Father. So because of Jesus, we are in fellowship with the Father and we are in fellowship with each other. The bond of Christ makes us family. He is our access. He is the way that we have fellowship with the Father and fellowship with each other. Let me read to you from Acts chapter 4, just two verses, 11 and 12. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. 
And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So we know that Jesus is the only way to the Father. He is the only way to eternal life. We know that we have fellowship with him and that joins us as, as a family together. So, so what does that do? How does that, what does that look like in real life? What would be the benefits of being in fellowship with God? Well, one of them is that God is knowable. So, so yes, God is higher. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. He is exalted. But the Word of God tells us that God is made knowable to us through the access we get through Jesus. Let me read some scriptures here. 2 Peter 1, 2-3. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. I'm going to keep reading, Matt. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. God is knowable. Look at another one. Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. This is what that verse says. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in death. When we get this access to the Father, we begin to learn more about him, his character. We learn about his deeds. God is knowable. Let me give you a very, very, very worldly example of this from my own life, okay? I hate board games, okay? I hate them. I don't want to play Settlers of Catan. I don't want to play Ticket to Ride. I don't want to play Monopoly. I hate them. And don't get the rule book out. I'm gone, okay? And listen, if I've ever played a board game with you, I'm confessing I hated every second of it, okay? I did it because I was trying to love you like Jesus loves you, okay? Jesus would play board games with you, so I try to play board games with you, but I hate board games. I loathe them, except for one. I've got one board game that I absolutely love, probably because I'm awesome at it. That's usually how it works. I don't even know if people play this game anymore, but my favorite game to play is a game called Taboo. Anybody ever played Taboo? Okay, so if you haven't, let me tell you how Taboo works. Taboo is like a vocal charades. What happens is you get this little card, okay? And, and, and when it's your turn, you grab a card, and you, there's a word on the top of it. And your job is to get your team to say that word. Seems easy, right? But then underneath that word, there are all the words you can't say. And so when it's your turn, you have the card, they turn the timer over, and you start. But wait, there's more. Because a member of the other team sits beside you with the most annoying buzzer you've ever heard in your life. And they are watching you. Because if you say one of those words, uh, here's why I love taboo. Because every once in a while, you'll get a team that just knows each other. I mean, they just are in lockstep. When I'm in a relationship with someone, they know me and I know them. I'll give you an example because I brought a taboo card from my house. Okay? So the word here at the top of the card, I know it's impossible to see, but the word is javelin. So if we were playing, I'd have to get my team to say the word javelin, okay? But underneath it, here are the words I can't say. Spear, throw, Olympics, track and field, event. 
So you think that's easy, but with the timer going and your team screaming at you and there's a buzzer in your ear, it's very tense, and you inevitably will say one of these. You'll forget and you'll say one. You'll get buzzed. You have to put the card down. You lose the point, all that sort of stuff. These are the words you can't say. But here's what happens. You ever play with a couple who are like way too in sync? So the word will be jabbling, and they say, okay, go. And they'll be like, uh, this is what we called Uncle Bob's boat that one weekend where it snowed and you burned yourself on a s'more. And they're like, javelin! Because they know each other. When someone, when someone, when I'm in a relationship with someone, they know me. They know things about my character and my history. I know that's a funny example, but God says in his word that he wants us to know him. This is one of the benefits of this fellowship, and he wants relationship. Let me read to you from John, back to the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 10 through 13. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So yes, God becomes knowable to us, but God also wants a relationship with us. The Gospel of John just told us that this whole thing was his idea. God makes you his forever by the work of Jesus. He initiated the relationship, not you. God wants relationship with you. And so John is saying, okay, remember, if you have fellowship with Jesus, he has fellowship with the Father. It's this wonderful good news. We are proclaiming eternal life to you. We have fellowship with the Father through the work of Jesus. But that's not all John said. He also said we have fellowship with each other. That this thing that joins us together, that there is a power to it. So this week, I, I tried to read as much as I could about fellowship, about social groupings, about what it means to have fellowship with one another. And here's what you will find. If you look at your life, I know it's certainly true in my life, that the majority of social groups you're in, the majority of fellowships that you and I have are fellowships based on experience not identity. So, some examples. Let's say you've got a group and it's all your buddies that you were in college marching band with. Let's just say that's a group you've got, okay? Let's say you served on PTA last year at the school, okay? And let's say you're a Boy Scout parent. You had a kid in Boy Scouts, okay? These are groups based on experience. So, so what joins you is you experience this thing together. You marched at all the football games, you went to all the board meetings for PTA, or you went to all the campouts with the, with the Boy Scouts and, and worked through the badges and all those sort of things. Here's the one challenge with a group based on experience. When you have fellowship based on experience, eventually to, to be sustained, to keep going, the fellowship of experience has to rehash the experience. So when you get together with your marching band buddies, eventually you run out of, how are you? How are the kids? And what ends up happening? You're all standing around like, hey, remember that one time we went in that game? Yeah, man, you tripped over your horn. That was hilarious. And you have this like rehashing of the experience. Now you talk about that for a while, and then there's that seven-minute lull in the conversation. You're like, remember when the teacher got mad at us? Oh, yeah, man, I remember that. You rehash the experience. If you're in PTA, 
Let's say you're in the PTA last year, you're in Torchies, you see someone you were on the PTA with last year, you almost immediately will be talking about, man, that was crazy last year. We did that, man, that budget, I didn't think we were ever going to get done. Or if you're a Boy Scout parent and you see another Boy Scout parent and say, oh, did your kid finish the badge? Oh, our badge was so hard. You rehash the experience. Most of our groups are fellowships based on experience, not identity. There's a different type of fellowship when you are joined with someone because of who you are. A really good example of this would be recovery programs. So if you know anything about Celebrate Recovery or Alcoholics Anonymous or Narcotics Anonymous, you will, you will find that they share their stories in these groups. That's a part of it. You, you, you get together and you share your stories in the room. And one thing you'll find is none of those stories are the same. That the experience is not the same. They are as different as the person telling them story after story after story. But those groups are based on identity. Especially if they're a Christian group, they're based on the identity of, I belong to Christ. This is what he wants for my life. We, are, we have this shared identity. This is what propels us. This is what keeps us going. A fellowship based on identity, who you are, will stand the test of time. We're not joined because we like the same thing. We're not joined because we live in the same neighborhood. We're not even really joined because we've chosen just to show up at this building as opposed to some other church building. We are joined because we have fellowship in Christ. That's what joins us. The bond of Christ makes us family. So this question of who's it for? So who's it about? It's about Jesus. Now what's John talking about? Who's it for? It's for us. What he's saying here is for our good. That because of Jesus, you have fellowship with the Father and with one another. Let's go to the last one. What does it do? What does all of this do? Last verse of 1 John 1, 1 through 4. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Our lives, our relationships, our sanity will never be complete apart from this very truth that through Jesus we have fellowship with God. It's not enough just to be glad about this. Because when you truly understand the fellowship you have with each other and the fellowship you have with God, it moves you to talk about it. So 1 John 1, 4 just said, we are telling you this because it makes our joy complete. When you understand this and you are now understand your identity in Christ and the fellowship that you have one another, you become evangelistic about it. You want other people to experience this thing. And I'm telling you, there are churches all over the world who do not understand this truth. There are churches and people that you know that base their entire life on experience and not identity. And what this does, the reason it makes us so joyful is this is the ideal way to battle this idea of I've got to, I've got to do all the right works and I've got to do all, check off all the things on my little list so I can be right with God. This battles a works-based righteousness. When, when Satan comes to you and he tries to confuse you and he tries to tell you, hey, you don't measure up. You're not a Christian. You don't measure up. First John is your motto. No, I have fellowship with the Father through Jesus. When someone tries to tell you the flip side of that, oh, you're such a, this is such a good Christian because you've done good works and you're super kind. No, first John is my motto. No, I have fellowship with the Father through Jesus. This will set you free, knowing that you belong to God. And when you share that and live that and testify to that, 
It completes us. What does it do? It completes us. One of the things that I love about church, it's my favorite thing about the church, is that all kinds of different people can have fellowship with one another. Old, young, different backgrounds, different neighborhoods, different colors, different nationalities, different political leanings. We can have fellowship through the work of Jesus. We can have fellowship with one another. This is what I love about the church. And listen, this is what the world is looking for. I don't like this. I'm becoming the guy who yells at the news. Anybody else? Right? Christian's like, turn that off. Your blood pressure is sky high, you know. Here's the deal. But you don't have to look at the world very long to realize this is what they're talking about. So we, we want a place where we love each other and, and, and where we're joined by something greater and we can care for one another. We can, we can fulfill the needs of one another and we can lift each other up. And ex- Listen, the world's been looking for the church the whole time. The church is the hope of the world. This is what I love about church. This is when I end up yelling at the news. Like everything you're saying you want, everything that you've got in your mind that would be the, be the goal, you can find that in church. Church has got it going on. That's my favorite thing about church. But the thing that grieves me about church is how easily our fellowship is broken. Some of you have gone through this before. Some of you have experienced a church split. And if you never have, you should count yourself lucky because they're awful. I remember being very young and the church I grew up in went through a pretty serious split over something not even that important like most church splits are. And I remember even as a kid being completely confounded that after this one night where there's this marathon you know, Baptist business meeting and people are storming out and people are yelling. I remember as a kid, I could not understand, wait, we can't talk to Miss Jackie anymore? Wait, I, I can't, we're not going to go over to Alan's house anymore? It, it grieves me that our fellowship can be broken so easily. Satan will do anything he can to distract you and to destroy you from having true fellowship with each other in Christ. One of the most famous verses about Satan in the Bible, 1 Peter 5, 8 through 9, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. If Satan's trying to destroy your fellowship, he's also trying to destroy mine. If he's trying to get you distant and disconnected and not living in faith with brothers and sisters in Christ, if he's doing it to you, he's doing it to the person sitting beside you. He will use anything he can. He will use politics to divide us. He will use our pride. He will use past hurts. He will use the lies of our culture. He will use anything he can to separate you from what we read in 1 John 1, 3. That which we've seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ, this is God's design for us. I've called you to be my own. And because of that, you can have fellowship with one another. I think there are probably three types of people in here today. So the first group 
there's probably someone in here today that we in the church would say are lost, meaning you've never given your life to Christ. You've never surrendered to his call of salvation. You, you, don't, you don't know Jesus. You're not following Jesus. You don't know this freedom and this fellowship that I'm talking about. Well, let me tell you, let me tell you the, truth. the truth is that Jesus wants to save you. Jesus wants to redeem you, and he wants to set you free, and he wants, you to put, wants to put you in fellowship that will stand the test of time. And here's what I know, is that if you are lost, and you're hearing me say this, and you have that weird feeling in the pit of your stomach, you know that I'm right. I have such confidence in the conviction of the Holy Spirit that if you don't know Jesus, he's calling you right now. And I am here to tell you that that giving your life to Christ will put you in fellowship you could never dream of. That through the work of Jesus, you will find brothers and sisters around you, the likes of which you've never seen before. If you are lost, I want you to be saved. I want you to give your life to Christ today. So that's one group. The second group we have are those of you who are, who are Christians. You're saved, you're a follower of Jesus, but you're not really in fellowship. You know, you, you kind of, yeah, I'm not really, I, I'm not really in, into group. I don't really have a lot of, a lot of groups. Now, now, listen, here's what's happened, okay? Corona's given everybody a little break. And there are some of you who had some fellowship, and then the pandemic hits, and now you're just sort of drifting, okay? And I know what you're thinking. You hear the guy up behind the pulpit say, all right, you need to get in fellowship. And I know what you're thinking. Oh, he's going to tell me to join a life group. He's going to tell me to join a Sunday school. He's going to tell me to serve in youth ministry. He's going to tell me to join the greeter team. He's going to tell me to join the worship team. Yes! That is what I'm going to say. You are surrounded in this place with literally dozens of fellowship groups. And maybe it's going to someone's house and doing a Bible study. Maybe it's standing at the doors and saying, welcome to church. But what you will find is, is when you put yourself into ministry, into service, all of a sudden you're joined with all these other people. And now there is a fellowship. There are some of you who are disconnected. And I want you to hear First John saying, this is not what you were made for. You were made to be connected. And there are tons of ways. I promise you, I promise you. Find me today. I could get you connected like that because that's what 1 John's telling us. You're in fellowship and you don't even know it. There are people in this room who you would absolutely love and would absolutely love you. I am so confident of that. No matter how weird you think you are or uncool you think you are, I promise there's someone just as weird a few pews back and we can get you connected. And then there's a third group. There's a third group of people who are followers of Jesus and you're in fellowship, you are connected, but you're forgetting to share this truth. You're forgetting to brag on God. You're forgetting to invite other people into your fellowship. Listen, some of you are in life groups or Sunday school classes, and, and you, you're kind of packed, you know. Oh, I don't know really if we could take anybody. Please hear me. Yeah, you can. We'll buy more chairs We'll find a bigger room. We'll, we'll make you sit outside at torches if we have to, to have this fellowship group. Some of us love fellowship. We love what we have, but we forget to invite other people into it. There's probably someone sitting within 10 feet of you who needs to find a place. 
They're just waiting for somebody to, in, to invite them. They're just waiting for that. First John is telling us that he has called us to a life of fellowship with one another and fellowship with God. I'm going to have Joel come up. We're almost done. We're going to sing together this morning. And, and we'll just sing a couple of choruses and, and um, then we'll be dismissed and we're almost done. And, I, you know, one of the interesting things about preaching First John is um, I have some pastor buddies that I, that I texted the past couple of weeks that said, hey, guys, I'm preaching again, and um, I'm preaching a little bit of 1 John. And they all went, ooh, Because 1 John's got a lot of big, heavy things in it. It's got a lot of theological stuff in it. And they're like, why are they letting you preach? Is the pastor sick or something? I was like, yeah, actually, yeah. That's, ex- that's exactly why. That's exactly why. But I want you to understand something is that God is so gracious to us that His Holy Spirit can make even the hard scriptures, even the difficult verses, come alive. And He speaks through that and He calls to us. And so my hope and my prayer for you today is that you would read back through 1 John 1, 1 through 4 and find yourself in that. Let that make your joy complete. Let, let that fulfill you and let that motivate you to be in fellowship with one another because we have the ultimate fellowship with God the Father. Let me pray for us this morning. Father, we thank you for your word and thank you for this time. And um, God, I pray that you would help us to be a people who have a completed joy, that we would um, be thankful and joyous at the fellowship we have with one another and with you and that we would be evangelistic about it that we would be good about inviting other people into this fellowship, that we would be a place of love, that we would be a witness to the world of what happens when, when the grace of God takes a hold of a place. And I pray that you help us in that. And I pray that you help me with that, God. I, I want to have a joy that's complete, and I want to walk in identity of who I am in you. I pray that you would bless our church and that you would help us to to live lives that glorify and honor you in all things. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this time. We pray that you be glorified and honored with everything we say and do. We pray all this in the name of Jesus and by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to sing with Joel this morning, and then he'll dismiss us.